Welcome to Smooth Operator, the podcast that explores affiliate marketing and digital media. I'm your host, Blake Saunders, and I'll be guiding you through this fascinating world by interviewing the brilliant minds and innovative leaders that shape it. Get ready to be inspired as we uncover the secrets to success in the world of content, commerce, and beyond. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the strategies and tactics that have propelled our guests to the forefront of this industry. Smooth Operator is your go-to source for staying ahead in the ever-evolving digital media space. Subscribe now and let's get started on this exciting journey together. Just a quick word from one of our sponsors and we'll get into the episode. This episode of the Smooth Operator podcast is brought to you by Bullwhip, the leading affiliate performance intelligence and revenue optimization platform for premium publishers. Whether you're an enterprise publisher or premium niche site, Bullwhip can help you optimize audience growth, page engagement, and yield to accelerate your affiliate revenue growth. Head over to bullwhip.io and sign up for a demo to learn how Bullwhip can help you scale and optimize your affiliate business today. Welcome to episode six of Smooth Operator. Today we're joined by Amro Natty, VP and GM of 360 Reviews. 360 Reviews is a part of US News, a top tier consumer information site. During the episode, Amro dives into his journey in the digital ecosystem, focusing on driving business efficiency through consumer engagement and intent monetization. We'll explore how 360 Reviews has scaled and how Google played a critical role refining the search results in 2020, helping traditional publishers like US News and the New York Times scale their review content sites. Wrapping up, we discuss Amro's insights on the future of AI and search and strategies for publishers to stand out. Amro, thanks for joining us today. Why don't we get started by having you give us an overview of your background? Yeah, sure. So my name is Amro Natty. I'm currently the uh, Vice President General Manager of 360 Reviews within U.S. News and World Report. So 360 is really a, a division within U.S. News. What's basically a commerce reviews platform. So uh, everything inside the home, technology products within commerce, services, subvertical, which is really all of insurance, many different home services, what a lot of publishers would call performance marketing. And then coupons and deals. My background since graduating the University of Virginia really was to kind of work in in tech and media, starting out as an analyst. And I've been working for 13 years in various kind of analytical capacities and operational capacities. So after UVA, I moved out to Los Angeles. I was working at a performance marketing marketplace. We were making an ad marketplace out of email inventory. So it was a performance email startup. And this is like 2011 and performance marketing and, and ad marketplaces, ad tech was a hot thing in 2011 still, but performance marketing was this like gross, strange economic model that everyone just assumed was pay to play and was rife with conflict of interest. And in the early days of performance marketing, that, that was where I cut my teeth as an analyst uh, for this first startup. And just learned like how to connect advertisers and, and brands with audiences and consumers in this very niche little marketplace. So after working in the marketplace for email inventory, what did you do? Floated around a couple of little startups in, in LA for a year or two, all in the performance marketing space. And really got a super interesting perspective on stuff like Affiliate Summit, where I've been attending Affiliate Summit since 20, maybe 11 or 2012. And it, it's just, it, it's a world apart from where it is now. Today, it's top tier brand and, and terrific media companies and, and publishers of all stripes. 10 years ago, it was like everyone operating a basement review site, connecting with their lead buyers. 
And so cut my teeth in performance marketing at that sort of time where it was very unfashionable and it was sort of a niche thing. Was the connection to some of these different roles that you took on, did you have an interest coming out of college in the digital world or was it more driven by you were interested by the people that you could work with and then they exposed you to this digital marketing affiliate world? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's partly like you, you take the opportunity that's there. When I moved to LA, performance marketing was was an industry on the rise. It was this model that even though it was it had its flaws and it needed to, to have the kinks ironed out of it in its early days, it became the prevailing model or one of the prevailing models of how the internet monetizes. And so the, the early days of that model, the growth rates were insane. You would have, you know, three, four, five hundred percent growth year on year at, at some of the most successful performance marketing marketplace companies. And, and that, that was just the opportunity that was there. I don't think I had, I didn't go to bed at night as a kid or, or even in grad school and say, boy, lead gen and performance marketing are just fascinating topics. But it was, you know, it was, it was the thing to, to employ 23 or 24 year old Amro at the time. And then it looks like you worked at a, a real estate startup. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 2013 rolls around. I worked at a few different startups and was looking for my next role. And I applied to this strange little startup called Agent Ace that was in Santa Monica. It was like a real estate basically real estate agent marketplace. The, the kind of idea was Moneyball for real estate agents. So find an agent who is awesome in your local market for your local need. And so I, I went I went out to Santa Monica for this interview and I met these two really interesting guys. This guy, uh, Eric Bunting, who was a former PE guy, uh, private equity guy that um, had, had turned over to venture capital and lots of small investments around LA. Super funny, super cool guy, Eric Bunting. And then the founder of the startup, this guy, Mazen Fawaz. Mazen was this really just colorful, funny guy who had come from Michigan and had made uh, a real success out of energy trading in the deregulated energy markets in, in Michigan, which I knew nothing about. He was like, yeah, we're doing this thing. It's like Moneyball for real estate agents. We have a chief technology officer and like one operations person, and you'd be like our first business hire. Um, do you want to do it? And the, you just, just sort of, there was kind of a spark and a connection with, with Mazin and Eric and the early team that I I just thought, you know, what, what the hell, I'm just going to do it. And it was a super interesting ride to just shortcut through the next three years. We raised together 30 million bucks in venture capital LA through March Capital and a few other, I think March Capital was the lead, but a few other VC folks along the West Coast. We eventually sold to Quicken Loans in 2016. We closed with Quicken. And through that time, I I had a chance to hire a pretty material operations team. And we were working on, again, as a business hire who had worked at the first business hire who'd worked at a couple of startups, I had a chance to build out a revenue operations team and call center. Uh, We assembled a national footprint of aggregated real estate data. I did all the financial modeling and, and supported Madison as he was pitching to, to investors and, and uh, VC firms. The connection to today, to, to U.S. News, in 20, I want to say 14, we started partnering with and working with U.S. News and World Report to power their real estate agent matching tool. 
And so um, Mazin and I got to meet Chad Smolinski, who's, who's now my boss, and showed him this sort of money ball for real estate agents approach. And if you look at sort of U.S. news and what Chad was building and the bets Chad was making at the time, um, that approach that True Car offers, democratize car buying and make negotiations super easy, or what we were offering, which is money ball for real estate agents, find the best agent for you. Uh, using using tons and tons of transactional data that consumers never had access to, that was just so resonant with what U.S. News, you know, U.S. News's brand is and what Chad was trying to build to manifest that a really ethical, really data driven products to help audiences and consumers. That's like the the Dow of Chad Smolinski. He's he's like a you know a, a world class expert in that model. This business that you took away from that sort of informed the rest of your current career about how the internet worked? Because I'm assuming the way the business monetized was getting consumer consumers to come in and engage with the platform. So are there takeaways that you had like aha moments about, oh, wow, this is how you can drive audience growth or this is how you inc- can increase monetization? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. I think Agent Ace was this fascinating experience for me because I think prior to Agent Ace, I had only ever really been working in traffic aggregation and, and monetization. And you'd basically, in prior companies, you'd be buying traffic or gaining traffic somehow on the internet and sending it through to advertisers. And then you'd get conversion data that says, hey, this many people made a purchase or, or didn't make a purchase or whatever the case may be. At h the model was that we would get consumers to convert on our website to get matched to a real estate agent. We would then match them to the best real estate agent for their needs and make a real estate referral as a brokerage. So we would call up real estate agents, connect real live consumer leads to those agents and get paid when the transaction closes three months later, a year later, three years later, like we would get referral checks years and years later. Super lucrative business, very tough to scale. But the real aha moment, the real learning from that is that every user on the internet is a real live human being with a need. And having built a call center and overseen it, and that was one of the sort of functions I ran, when you run a call center, the rubber meets the road. If you have, let's just say, low intent leads or bad leads, they're not going to consummate into transactions. You're not going to get paid. And if, if you've got a call center that's getting tons and tons of low intent leads and, and consumers aren't ready to transact, a call center doesn't have that much to be able to say to the consumers. This was an interesting lesson for me in, in the early days is don't push consumers and audiences to a transaction until they're ready. That realization manifests in the price that a call center will ultimately pay for that type of traffic. Because you might have folks that are super high intent about doing, let's just say, a bathroom renovation, but don't want to actually start renovating for a year. And if you hand that person off to a local contractor, let's just say, or a call center of contractors, What's the likelihood that when you connect that person to a contractor that in a year they're going to use that contractor? Much lower than if that consumer is ready to transact that week or that month. Um, and so timing and intent really played out every day in the call center and we would see that. So that, so you sold that business and then why don't you just 
walk us through your journey now to U.S. News and then and talk more about your role there. And having known kind of Chad Smolinski, the chief product officer, for a few years from the startup, he knew that I was in the D.C. area and I was starting to look for my next role. And really the work that I had done at the real estate marketplace was just so well aligned with what Chad was trying to build with the U.S. News team, which is data-driven products that help audiences make better decisions. And Chad and I were really aligned on this thesis that when you help audiences make better decisions, when you bring them unique data or helpful takes on data, you can really be a differentiator in in, in the review marketplace that, that exists today. And, and certainly at that time in 2018, when I first joined, we I think Chad, like me, looked around at the product review industry and scene and saw lots of companies that just were not doing it the right way, that were beholden to pay for play economics or were very biased or were just giving a, an unpersuasive, not very thorough, uh, subjective opinion on what the best products are. And so I think we both at the time, Chad was already operationalizing this thesis at US News, but I, I had certainly been looking at, at reviews in a similar way and saying, there's got to be a better way than either this like hand wavy subjective approach or this naked pay to play bias that you would see both those extremes in the market at the time. And just a quick side note, this is also the era of, uh, if you remember that terrific Fast Company article on Sleepopolis and Casper Mattress from about that time, 2017, 2018, where Sleepopolis was this mattress review site that had grown tremendously in popularity. And they had all these ties to mattress companies. And then I think there was one of uh, Casper's owners bought Sleepopolis after a, a set of lawsuits. The point is that there was a this uneasy growth of the affiliate model and how it played with reviews. And there were starting to be these very sketchy outcomes or sketchy players in the space that, um, that I, I really wanted to be on the right side of the business in, in reviews and do the right thing for audiences. And so I, I started working with Chad on this teeny tiny kind of nascent project called 360 Reviews. I joined almost exactly five years ago, so Halloween 2018. 360 was pre-traffic, pre-revenue, nothing had been launched. And Chad had cobbled together a, a, a team of allocated folks inside of US News to launch our first category, which was uh, home security companies, best home security companies of 2018. And so I got that first launch executed with the team, followed by a few more. But really, the, the mission was build an expansion team for U.S. News and World Report. Bring the, the U.S. News methodology and approach for audiences out to new audiences, new purchase decisions. Go find new places that our review methodology really works. And that's a fascinating mission. Like, to, to me, that's like, a, that's like a dream job where you basically, you know, outside of operating your way into these spaces, you get to ask the question, where does the U.S. news methodology make the most sense to go next? Um, and we have at U.S. news this incredible, extensible brand, this, this brand that people trust and trust to help them with all manner of decisions, right? Flowing from education and, and universities and undergrad, which is where most people get their first exposure to the brand, to hospitals, to you know, automotive and, and car reviews, uh, travel destinations. That there was a that there had been existing a bunch of verticals and review areas that Chad and, and others had built 
But then the opportunity existed to bring this out to a whole bunch of new areas. And in that first year in 2019, it, it was really about figuring out what does the landscape of reviews look like? Where do we go first? What are the most interesting places on the internet that we think we can disrupt with our methodology and our model? And really, there there wasn't much of a distinction for me in those early years about performance marketing or commerce. So we were entering into sort of performance marketing, lead gen spaces, uh, home security, home insurance, uh, uh, life insurance. We launched Mac Best Mattresses, Mattress Reviews, which was one of our kind of flagship commerce categories in early 2019 but really ran a gamut of important decisions that consumers are making where we felt we could offer a better methodology and approach all across the board in 2019 and into early 2020. Enter the pandemic, early 2020, that was really when the business started to scale and Google started to really reward our approach um, with high SERPs and much more exposure. And, and then we got into the, the new set of challenges. Of, we had proven the zero to one between end of 2018 and maybe early 2020 and hit certain you know traction that the approach made sense. We, we had a somewhat scalable operation. There's always scale problems, but it was somewhat scalable. And in that first maybe 18 months had been able to create a framework that we could then build up. And so COVID hit. Google had started moving many more of the SERPs over to... Certainly, U.S. News was a beneficiary, but over at Legacy Publishers, that moment in time, too, I think was really about Google acknowledging that they had been sending lots and lots of traffic over to relatively unscrupulous websites and started turning the scales over to publishers who had these much more built-in ethical constraints. They're not most traditional publishers and, and, and uh, major publishers have these guardrails. They're unbiased. They uphold journalistic integrity. And you've got this massive rise of publishers in the SERPs managing product reviews, of which we're riding that wave. And so that got us to that next inflection point of 360, that sort of fast growth of, of being a much more prominent player in uh, performance marketing and commerce reviews. And since then, it's been the evolution of the team and the scale out. But the, looking at it, I think we help many different audiences make better purchase decisions. Our U.S. news methodology and model uh, resonates with audiences. Google trusts us and audiences trust us. We've committed to doing things the right way. We were totally, our rankings are totally objective. We're not beholden to the you know, pay to play incentives that can pervert some other players in the industry and have prior. And, and that's where we find ourselves today is a fairly mature, certainly in some areas, division that's, that's driving lots and lots of reviews for many different um, decisions. I think at last count, we're in roughly uh, 50 consumer areas today. When you first joined U.S. News, how many verticals were they in? So I, I would say that prior to 360, the company had material verticals in um, autos, education, health, travel, money, and news. So it was roughly six or seven verticals. With 360, we 
when I came aboard, we had zero categories and we're working on the first, which was home security. We are now at, let's say, 50, which generally cluster into three major sub areas, commerce, services, and deals. There's an argument that we should be in 500 categories. There's an argument that we should be in 50 or 20 categories and focus more and double down. And so that's, I think, the interesting sort of strategic set of questions that you have to ask about breadth versus depth, focus versus extensibility. These are problems we think about often. The position I usually take is that 360 is made more important to audiences and improves as a business and as a brand when we help consumers in more purchase decisions. But I think it's an interesting and robust discussion that you can have around, should everyone be like, let's say, Wirecutter, which has recently faced some criticism, if you saw that Atlantic article, is there such a thing as being overbroad? That Atlantic article that came out last month asked the question of Wirecutter that, are they alienating their core audience through too much scale? I think that's a totally fair question to ask. That's a totally fair perspective. And we 360 being at maybe 50 to 70 categories, we haven't hit that level of scale that Wirecutter has and breadth of categories. So you referenced the 50. If you had to just give a number, would you feel aligned with your idea of helping customers with most of their purchase decisions? And then how do you balance that with staying relevant in the categories where you already are, right? Just staying in the top five in SERP requires, I think, a lot of work. And so how do you balance those two? I think in the early days of 360, when we basically were pre-revenue, pre-traffic, 100% of our resource was focused on offense. When you have nothing to defend, you don't have to spend any resource on defense. So it was all offense. Go out, help more audience, find more audiences, help more audiences, make an awesome you know, recommendation project. We reached a point of, of scale where, hey, we started having traffic and cert positions and such to defend. And so now the our quarterly planning, our annual planning, there's a there's an allotment that you try to make of defense and business as usual, and then an allotment towards offense and, and net new bets. And so you're right to ask the question. I, I think the question of how do you balance it, it's ultimately tactical. It's ultimately, you know, if you look at our category managers who are managing kind of aspects of, of di- different aspects and areas of business, they make these decisions in the trenches around, do you react to SERP changes? Do you respond to seasonality? How much defense are we making? What's our update cadence? There's a whole lot of effort um, placed on defense. And then there's also, I'd say, I- I'm always encouraging every one of these sort of sub-verticals and, and, and category areas to focus partly on net new bets are interesting, they're exciting. But in some of our areas, we may have addressed a higher percentage of all the material new areas that are out there. And so maybe defense becomes a higher sort of allocation than offense. So it's it's sort of different in different areas. And then can you just talk a, a little bit about in terms of metrics? So since you've joined US News, how has a team scaled in terms of people and ha- what are the focus areas? So I'd say that there's been like a few different inflection points that have changed the sort of roles within the teams and also my role. Whereas in the early years, a small group of people working all in one room effectively to launch a handful of products. 
And as those early products have matured into categories and content clusters and like little sub verticals, we've had to reorganize a handful of times through different periods of scale. So the sort of everyone doing everything model that worked in the first year to prove product market fit evolved into more focused sort of sub verticals and the evolution of maybe a central team. And so it's turned more into a matrix structure with, you know, sub verticals and then functions and allocation within. What is interesting and challenging about, about a matrix structure is things like culture start to become more important. Things like formally and clearly documenting roles and responsibilities and values become more important. And the thing that unifies the 360 team to this day is this real conviction that the U.S. news methodology and commitment to quality improves audiences' decision-making and helps audiences make better decisions. And so I think that's a touchstone or the North Star for the team. But I think that, again, as the team has scaled and changed in, in structure, it's been, a, it's been a new and interesting set of, of operating procedures and even demands on any of us, right? Like ma- many of our roles have gotten more specialized and, and that's okay. That's part of what scale means is uh, specialization. So that's, that's a lot of what we've seen. Just to help orientate the audience and wrap us up here around the future, how do you see AI impacting publishers? I'm just going to give my, my sort of take on, on Google search because I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. Google search is a product and there's a product manager, a team of product managers within Google working on search. And at the highest level, basically the search product connects three different parties. It connects consumers who are searching for stuff with websites, the results of what they're searching for. And then they sell ads at the top. So they connect consumers with websites and advertisements. And they have to balance these stakeholders, right? If they have too many ads, consumers are going to bail. Too few ads, they won't make enough money, right? Good organic results, consumers will stick around. Bad organic results, consumers will bail. And that's just, that's like a helpful framework to just start to think about like the trade-offs that I think Google has to make. Something they also do that's interesting is they create their own organic search results, their own products that basically push down the other organic results from other websites. And basically these in-house results, these in-house products, let them sell ads with a much higher RPM or revenue per meal, basically much more lucrative ads that they can sell and more targeted while hopefully keeping a high quality result. When I think about talking about AI and how it affects the Google search results, right? In the framework that I've described, AI is just a way of making a different Google in-house product that shows up at the top over the other websites. Maybe a bigger product that takes up more of the screen, or maybe a product that attempts to make it that the other websites underneath are less relevant. Okay. And so if in a typical search result, 30 or 40% of the of the screen is taken up by ads and maybe 50 or 60 or 70% is taken up by the organic search results, Google's in-house tools are starting to cram in. They're probably not going to erode the ad space. It's probably going to erode a little bit more of the publisher 
you know, of what publishers and websites have typically enjoyed. It's just going to take up more of the organic share. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a little bit of erosion above the fold for the first result that Google services using an in-house tool or product. So now let's talk about that AI-driven product, which is SGE, Search Generative Experience. It's a tool that is that they build in-house that lets them create more and better in-house products that will push down the organic results. There's going to have to be some attribution to the websites that they're using to build that tool, right? So one thing I didn't mention that's part of this framework is why are websites letting Google scrape their valuable data and sites because Google rewards them with SEO traffic, right? So every single person basically lets like robots.txt or whatever the scrapers and crawlers are that, that go crawl through all our sites, they allow Google to do that because Google rewards them with traffic. If Google turns off the spigot of organic traffic and says, sorry, it's all just SGE, search generative experience, it's all our in-house product now, then a lot of publishers and websites will probably start turning off the access of those crawlers to their site, right? And Google knows that one of their competitive advantages, they have all this access to all this incredible data from every website, all of the SEO is really just a way to conform to Google's demands and to make scrapers and crawlers jobs easier and better organize the internet. That's an incredible foothold that Google has on the industry. If Google just says, screw all the publishers, SGE is taking over it all, publishers start maybe turning off or restricting access or not adhering as closely to SEO guidelines. And then guess what happens? That SGE, that search generative product that's pulling from all of those websites' data has less data to pull from and becomes lower quality. Even if SGE tomorrow was the best answer on earth for many queries, if it didn't give attribution to the websites that it was scraping and pulling data from and those websites start to turn off, SGE immediately erodes, it immediately gets worse because it doesn't have access to that data, to fresh data, to new data, to first person experiences and photography, all this stuff, right? Again, it goes back to that framework. If they don't take care of the publishers and the the websites won't be there to give the best organic result to consumers. And then I'd, I'd say, August 2023, how is SGE? It's bumpy. The rollout is very bumpy. You look at Lily Ray, who is a great SEO kind of uh, uh, consultant and owns an agency, I think, and she's an SEO influencer. She brought up this great example. If you Google best world leaders in August 2023, you would get an SGE result with Hitler in the top three or top five. And to say the least, there's work to be done to improve quality, right? It's... Best world leaders, you get Hitler from the SGE. That's US News is not showing Hitler under best world leaders. And so even if it were to be giving the most high quality results today, there's still a balancing of constituents within the product that they need to do. That makes sense. So zooming out here for a second, how do you think the rise of large language models impacts the value proposition of traditional publishers in the media space? Are you saying answers from language models aren't great? It's the most average opinion because that's what a large language model does. It predicts an answer based on a data set and based on inputs. So I think that the most average predictable response is not the most persuasive response. That's where publishers can really differentiate still in this world of AI is 
focusing on why their brand and their approach gives a much more persuasive response than the norm, than the average that ChatGPT or Google or whatever will get better and better at this. And so in that world, being good enough isn't good enough anymore. The bar has been raised, and I think publishers have to deliver their highest quality, most differentiated recommendations every time to every audience. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting episode of Smooth Operator. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Amro Natty and the unique insights he shared on his career path to U.S. news, operating and scaling digital media companies, and his views on the future of AI and search and its impact on publishers. Stay connected with us for more in-depth conversations with industry leaders, and don't forget to subscribe for the latest updates. Until next time, keep innovating, keep optimizing, and keep operating smoothly.